Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is tea time. We are here for the afternoon show. That's right. This morning we had the science of empowerment. This afternoon we have the motivational check. We're just going to keep that flavor going this afternoon. And in the evening we have some terror strikes, but we're going to turn that terror strikes into a good positive thing. So we're going to do a lot of change and a lot of spilling and we're going to make a big old mess here on tea time with Miss Liz. So we're going to get started with the disclaimer and the bio and all that good stuff. And then we got the amazing Terry Tucker that will be joining us. And he's going to spill a good, strong tea. I'm telling you, you want to share this tea time. You want to share, share, share with all of your friends and family because we're going to spill a good, strong tea this afternoon on Tea Time with Miss Liz. The disclaimer for Miss Liz is Tea Time live shows. Miss Liz, myself, is going live using StreamYard. Before leaving a comment, please grant StreamYard permission to see your name at StreamYard.com. Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time show hosted by Miss Liz is always brought forward in good faith. However, may bring forth dialogues and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the giving time of airing. All Tea Time guests and audience participants are responsible for using their good judgment in taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussion for some where they may be emotionally at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about the disclaimer or the panelist discussion, you may freely contact me, Miss Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in today's show in any aspect, I myself, Miss Liz, welcomes you. And should you decide that the show is not made for you at this time, I respect that wish and I will see you at a later show at a later date and time. And again, all tea times are done on Thursday this year, 10, 3, and 7 p.m. If it's on a different day, it's a rescheduled tea time. This is how Miss Liz rolls. We just keep spilling the teas. So next, we got the incredible Terry Tucker here. I am super excited for this tea time because this man has really gone through everything. He's done the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs. He's really just made a really impactful life. And he's here to motivational check you all in. That's right. We're checking you in today. Terry Tucker is a motivational speaker, author, and international podcast guest on the topic of motivation, mindset, and self-development. He has a business administration degree from the Citadel, I think I'm saying it right, where he played the NCAA division, college basketball, and a master's degree from Boston University. In his professional career, Terry has been a marketing executive, a hospital administrator, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a business owner, a motivational speaker, and for the past 10 years, a cancer warrior, what has resulted in the amputation of his foot in 2018 and his leg in 2020. He is the author of the book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles of Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Terry has also been featured in 
Authority, Thrive Global, and Human Capital Leadership Magazines. Now let's get Terry in here and let me have some tea so I can take a sip and sit back for a few minutes. <laughs> Welcome, Terry. Liz, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. It is. It was a mouthful, was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was, but you did a great job with it, so thank you. So, Terry, let's start. I do this with all of my guests. Let's start with the little Terry to the big Terry, and let's get in between all the grooves and grooms. Uh, little Terry to big Terry. So, grew up on the south side of Chicago, a uh, big city here in the United States, oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And as you mentioned, I played uh, NCAA Division I college basketball at the Citadel. Uh, after I graduated, I moved home to find a job. I was, you know, all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I realize now just how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, you kind of mentioned my, uh, my resume a little bit, so I won't go into that. And then I guess just finally, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military here in the United States, the Space Force. Wow, look at that. You're proud daddy. Very proud. <laughs> Very proud. <laughs> that is that is an honor, you know. Like when we when we celebrate our children and the growth of our children, you know, and it had to come from a strong uh, upbringing. You know, you 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 set a good example. Like you, your professional career here has really shown that you've done a lot of things. Uh, I really want to get into the motivational check. What got you into the motivational check, and what gave you that name? Well, the motivational check comes from actually when I was in the police academy in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was a phrase, motivational check, that our defensive tactics instructor gave us that we could yell out, that we could just sort of scream out if we were, were having a tough time. We did some, some pretty interesting things in the police academy. We ran the equivalent of a marathon. This guy would take us to, there was an apartment complex that had this huge fountain out in front of it. And the fountain only had about six inches of water but we would run like five miles to the fountain, get in the fountain, get all wet doing push-ups and sit-ups and all that kind of stuff, and then run five miles back. So it was a phrase that he gave us that if we were just having a tough day, if we didn't think we could go on, that we could just yell out. And the rest of the class would respond. We were the 84th recruit class in the police academy. We would yell out, you know, 84, just to let the person know that, hey, you're not alone. You know, we're all in this together. We're all hurting, but we will get through this as a group, as a team, as opposed to an individual. So when I was looking for a title for my blog, Motivational Check just keep kept coming up and up. And I figured it was as good a title as anything else that I could come up with. Well, with your whole story, like all the research I do, because I do a lot of homework on all my guests. When I did the, the research on you, Terry, it, it showed that you just kept going. Like the motivation just kept going. No matter what came your way, you just kept checking it off. You know, this is going to happen, but I'm going to put a check and we're going to get through this. You know, uh, I want to get in a little bit into your story with the cancer. Uh, you, when were you diagnosed, Terry, and how did that, uh, how did you find out about it? So 2012, so it's been almost 11 years now. Um, 2012, I was a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas, and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my left foot, right below my third toe. And initially, I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining to me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. 
until finally he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have an incredibly rare form of melanoma. And most people think of melanoma as too much exposure to the sun and it affects the melon, the pigment in our skin. This has nothing to do with sun exposure. This is just a rare form that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And just for educational purposes, there's an even rarer form that, of melanoma that appears in your mucous membrane. So in your nose or your mouth or something like that. So I got this rare form of melanoma and he said, you know what? You should be treated at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston because it's so incredibly rare. And that started my, I guess, 11 year now odyssey through cancer. So is the cancer gone? Is it in remission? No, um, it is. Um, it is in my lungs. It's been in my lungs since 2020. Um, I, I have been on a clinical trial drug for the last two and a half years. I'm treated every three weeks for an entire week, get a couple weeks off and then get treated. And I've been doing that cycle for two and a half years. The cancer has shrunk the tumors, but they are still there. So I am considered what's called stable right now. Well, I hope that you get a remission. We're going to do a lot of prayers for you, Terry. And, you know, but you're you're that motivational check. So we're going to check that off and we're going to get it get it in remission. Uh, and and it is a rare cancer. Like a lot of people, they just assume the normal ones, right? Like the, the ones that everyone talks about, the breast, the prostate and, and lungs and all of that. But we, we don't talk about the rare cancers. Um, so I, I really hope that... Uh, we get good news for you, Terry, and you know, like you're still kicking along. So let's get that motivational going on. How do you impact an audience when they're coming in and they're all like, Ugh. how do we get them moving? I, I think a lot of it has to do with authenticity. You know, you, you need to be an authentic individual. You, I, you know, I, I, I go on these podcasts and I talk about motivation and things like that, but I also say, I don't, I don't know if I have all the answers. I mean, I have things that have worked for me. And what I'm trying to do now is, is share them with people in the hope that, you know, I'm giving them something that maybe would, would work for them. I mean, we all, we all experience hard times, difficult times in our life. And a lot of times those, those conditions can paralyze us. We, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We're, we're, we're kind of stuck. And I found some things over these 11 years of, you know, having my foot amputated, my leg amputated and things like that, that have worked for me. Like I said, I don't know if they work for other people. I, I, other people have told me that they do. So that's why I'm kind of putting them out in the world just to see, you know, hey, maybe this is something that you could you could use. So I think authenticity, being genuine, realizing that, you know, you don't have all the answers is one. I think also having character, being a person of good character tell you a quick story. I, I had an interview one time for a marketing job and I was meeting with the senior vice president for marketing. And we spent 90 minutes, an hour and a half. And in that entire time, he never asked me one question about marketing or business or anything like that. He asked me about what it was like, you know, with my parents and growing up with my brothers and basketball and having knee surgery and what it was like in college. And I remember saying to him afterwards, that his line of questioning, I thought, was kind of interesting, for lack of a better word. I said, could you explain to me why we didn't talk about marketing? He said, sure. He said, I have plenty of people around me that'll tell me whether you're a good fit in terms of, you know, marketing, your expertise on marketing, whether you'd be a good fit for the team. But I want to hire people of good character. And he said, I believe character is developed in the first 20 years of your life. And he said, I also believe that character is caught and not taught. So you're not going to read a book or take a course and say, okay, I did this and now I'm a person of great character. No, you're going to observe things. You're going to see things. You're going to be like, boy, I really like the way that woman handled that. Or boy, I didn't like the way that that guy handled that situation. So he said, I wanted, I spent 90 minutes wanting to understand the kind of person you were from a character point of view. So I think character is also incredibly important. And I guess just to add a third one in there, I think humility is also something that, that we need to have in our lives. I mean, we, we kind of like to think that the world revolves around us, that it's all about us. I was reading an article this, this morning that said the, the odds of you being born are one in a trillion. And if you think about that, if you think how, you know, I mean, 
you know, we all think we're great, but we're on this little marble that's in this huge galaxy that's in an even huge, bigger universe, but we think it's all about us. It's not all about you. I always used to tell my basketball players, you're unique, but you're not special. So don't think that it's all about you. It's more about giving of yourself. I like that statement, you are unique, but not special, because it really opens up the mind of understanding that we have to stop labeling everybody as special, you know, unique. We, we bring something different to the table. We bring different flavors. Like this morning, we were talking about the science of empowerment and we were talking about it is a choice that we make to better our lives or better uh, as a as a basketball coach, you know, coaching your team and, and your girls and that. I'm sure you're saying what well, you have to take that step if you want to get to that goal. You, you know, you have your team here, but at the end of the day, it's you that has to make that impact of joining the team too. It, it is. And you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, I guess the way I kind of, I kind of look at this, or I kind of describe this now, and, and I think this is particularly the way things sort of, there's an outlook this way, sort of in the West, you know, that, that we, we kind of think that, or we're kind of taught that we're born empty. And that when we, you know, once we get out of school and we kind of get into life, that our job is really to fill ourselves up. So, you know, we get a good education and we get a great job and, you know, we, we get a, a great family and great kids and, and you know, and, and drive a nice car, live in a nice house. And all that stuff fills us up and it makes us fulfilled. But my experience has been, one, it doesn't make you fulfilled. And two, it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. We're born right. with everything we need to be successful in life already inside us. And if if we looked at it instead of what can we get and looked at it more as what can I give, our job should be to empty ourselves out for the betterment, certainly of ourselves, but of our family, you know, our community, our workplace, our God, whatever we believe in that regard. And if you look at it that way, life becomes a whole lot more fulfilling. It's not about what I can get. It's yep. what I can give. I love that you say that because, you know, we have so many people. What can I get? What can I get? What can you do for me? How about what can you do for yourself? Take care of you. Like self-care is really deeply important. And that's where on tea time, as I serve my guests, my guests, I bring what they serve in, in life, you know. And I think it's a good time, Terry, to ask you, what is your tea? So if I give you the word TEA, what three words are you going to give me? I'm probably going to give you transition for, for the T. I mean, I've been down a lot of rabbit holes in my life in terms of employment and things that I've experienced. Um, the E, I think, would be education. I've, I've always said, I, I always believe this, and I've said it to my players numerous times, you need to be a lifelong learner. You know, it's not like you go to school and then you stop learning. A lot of people do that. But I think it's important to, to be a lifelong learner, to be curious, to ask questions, to not just take things on face value. So I, I think that would be the E. And then the last thing I think I would say would be the A would be for attitude. And I think attitude maybe goes a little bit deeper. I, I couldn't find a word that began with A that's, that was for mindset. But I really think that, you know, the, the mindset, how we, how we look at ourselves, like you said, you know, how we look at life is really, it all starts in our mind. If we can't control our mind, then yep. everything else is kind of out the window and you're really kind of at the at the mercy of what life presents you. You can control your mind. You are able to do that. It's amazing what you can accomplish. Well, it's like you said, the character, right? The character's attitude. If you don't have a good attitude, you know, you're going to be like, you're getting it to the side, you know? And, and, and I'm really amazed that that's two guests this morning and this afternoon, and give me the word attitude. So there's a lot of attitude with empowerment and motivation. You know, it's really the character of what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, it really is. And 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 that's not something that we talk a lot about. And, you know, we we, we talk a lot about goals. You know, we, we got to have goals. We got to have New Year's resolutions and stuff like that. And, and when you look at, you know, 80 percent of New Year's resolutions go by the wayside by February, you, you wonder why. And, and what I think is important, and I, I think something we don't talk enough about is that goals are great. But before you, you plan your goals, before you decide on what your goals are, you need to know what your values are. You need to know that, you know, what is in your heart, what is in your soul that is immovable, that no matter what people say, no matter what people do, 
that's the person you are. And sometimes that's even, you know, I'm, I'm committed to this way of life or I'm committed to this occupation, knowing full well that I may never be successful at it. But I, I always look at it kind of like the doctors and, and the researchers that have developed my clinical trial drug. You know, somebody probably started working on that back in the you know 50s or 60s or 70s, and then they died. And then somebody else picked up that research and they advanced it and they moved it forward. You know, and, and that that just kept going to a point where now I'm benefiting from the work that that person did. So what are your values? You know, I mean, I think, you know, things like character, things like love, things like trust, things like family, things like faith are, are things that we need. We need to think about. We need to consider in our lives. And when you know what your values are, then start planning your goals because you can anchor those goals to your values. And it's kind of like having a foundation for a house. If you have a good foundation, the house is going to be good. If you don't, then the house you know, very well may fall down. So figure out what your values are and then worry about planning your goals. Yeah, everything seems to be backwards, right? We we seem to be doing everything backwards. It's just like like you said right a few minutes ago. We all think we're empty. We're born full. It's how we empty that cup. It's how we empty ourselves by what the society tells us, the programming tells us. You know, just follow your heart. Follow your you know what people are giving you. Take it back as a lesson, a blessing. You know, like even when I've gone through a lot of hard stuff, Terry, in my life as well. And I've taken it and I turned it into a positive. I take my pain and I turn it into something stronger. And I say, you know what? This pain is not going to eat at me. And I and I get that from you too. When I when I looked at looked at you and did some research on you, I said, I see Terry as nope, you're not getting me. I'm going to check this off too. I'm going to check, you know, the motivational check of life. You're not going to get me. You're not going to hold me down because my values are before the goal, you know, of overcoming. Exactly. And and that's just, you know, I mean, it's the old saying of, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, you know, and, and, and that's true. I mean, but we tend to, we tend to get in our own way, you know, and, and I mean, you know, you're looking at me now. I mean, I look perfectly fine and, but you know, I'm in a wheelchair. I don't have a leg. I've got tumors in my lungs and things like that, but that's not stopping me. I, I remember after I had my leg amputated and I did find out I had these tumors in my lungs about eight months later, my doctor showed me my CAT scan from that time. And, and I have no medical background. I don't know how to read a CAT scan, but you can kind of look at it and say, well, gee, that doesn't look like it's supposed to be there, you know? And, and so, you know, I had these big tumors in my lungs and I had fluid all around the pleural spaces kind of on the outer part of my lungs. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how was I alive? And he kind of got this grin on his face and sort of shook his head. And he said, I don't know, because you shouldn't have been. You know, which which said to me that, you know, God's not done with me yet. You know, when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about the dying part. Spend more time worrying about the living part right now. And I think that's really deep and important. You know, like it's like you said, right? Everyone will look at this video and they'll say, oh, I don't see the wheelchair. I don't see the leg missing. I, I see a really educated man sitting in front of Miss Liz here. So, you know, people don't seem to understand that we all have stories. We all have our challenges and obstacles. You might be looking at us and saying, well, there's nothing wrong with you. There, you got it all good. You Wine and roses. You don't know the story. So don't judge before you know the book. Uh, I want to talk about the book, uh, The Sustainable Excellence. What does that book cover? It covers how to be excellent and how to sustain that excellence once you you become excellent. And, and people ask me that, you know, they're like, OK, you wrote a book called Sustainable Excellence. And the first question is, what's excellence? And my response is, I don't know. And they're right? like, you wrote a book called Sustainable Excellence. How can you possibly not know? And the way I answer that question is, you know, Liz, you and I may look at, you know, a company. We may look at a piece of art. We may look at a sports team and you may say, boy, that company's they're, they're excellent. And I may look at it and say, well, I think they're good, but I, I don't think they're excellent. I, I, I look at excellence kind of the way I look at beauty. It's sort of in the eye of the beholder. You know, we, we look at different things and, and we, we project how we feel about them. And somebody else may look at it and feel entirely different. So I think excellence is something you have to define for yourself. And then the next part of the title is sustainable. How, how do you, once you've determined what excellence is, once you put in the time and the work and the energy to get excellent in your mind, 
How do you sustain that excellence? And I think the way you do that is you, you innovate, you grow, you find another market, you find a different way to do things. And I think what happens, and I've seen this a lot, especially being an athlete, where you know teams will work really hard and they'll get to the top of the mountain, they'll win the conference, they'll win, they'll win a championship or something like that. And then they, you know, they sort of sit back, put their feet up on the desk, pour themselves a drink and be like, yeah, I've arrived. And then what happens? Well, the next season or, you know, six months from now, boom, somebody passes them up. Why is that? Because people watch how you do what you do and they take the good stuff from it and then they figure out ways to do that better. And then all of a sudden they pass you up and now they're at the top of the mountain and you're not. And then you wonder, why did that happen? It happened because you didn't continue to grow. You didn't continue to get better. You didn't continue to innovate. So if you want to be excellent, that's something you have to determine. But if you want to sustain that excellence, you need to keep growing, keep moving, and keep moving forward. Well, it's like you said earlier, right? It's a lifelong journey of learning. You know, we have to keep learning. You know, when we when we put the mind off and we stop learning, we stop growing. We stop finding that top heel, right? We do. And, and that's, you know, I mean, I read a lot. My wife reads even more more than I do. But I, I mean, those things are, are in, you know, I don't know about this. Let, let me go read about it. I, I, I remember hearing a story one time or reading a story that said 86 percent. I think it's just in the United States. Somebody did a survey and said 86 percent of the people they surveyed believed that they had a book within them, either a memoir about their life or, you know, a fiction book that, th that they wanted to write. And yet less than 1% of those people will ever write that book, will ever take the time, you know, to do that. So we all think we have a story. And, and I think we do. I mean, I find people fascinating. I love talking to people about, you know, what their life, how they got to where that, I, you know, part of that comes from being a police officer and asking a lot of questions. But, you know, what, what caused you to get here? How did you do this? I, I want to know because even if there's one thing I learned from that person, as far as I'm concerned, that's time well spent. And you just mentioned being a police officer, you ask a lot of questions. So is there training on how to ask a question or you guys just go with the flow? Like, how does that work? There is. There, there, uh, it's, it's been a number of years since I've been out of law enforcement, but there was a um, a, a class or it was it was more than just a class. I mean, it was it was kind of like a week long program. It was called Reed and the man's name was Reed, R-E-I-D, interview and interrogation. And and they gave you things to say to people. So, you know, if you've got, for example, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, a rapist or something like that. And, and you're talking to them and, and you you say something that it's like, look, I, I, I you know, I, I bet she kind of turned you on and, you know, it was real. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was all her fault. So, I mean, if you didn't know they did it, well, you ask questions that kind of box them in, you know, it's like, you didn't mean to sell those drugs near a school, did you? Because if you did, then that's a, an entirely different penalty for what you're doing. You just wanted to sell drugs, you know, to the adults, not, not to the kids. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to sell them to the, to the, to the adults. I was like, thanks. You know, you just made my case for me and things like that. So there are, there are ways you can say things, you know, I mean, you would say to a rapist, it's like, well, what do you think should happen to, to somebody that, you know, violently rapes a, a woman? And what would most people say? Well, that, you know, they should have their testicles cut off. They should, you know, you should hang them by their thumbs and, you know, from the rat. I mean, you, you get real animated. Well, somebody that was is a rapist will give you something like, well, they should probably get treatment or, so, you know, they will give you some soft answer that, well, like, okay, that leads you more down. This is probably the person that do that would that did this crime because you know if it were you, you know, if somebody raped you or or somebody you love, you would, you know, you'd want to kill them and and you would be irate. And so that's the answer you would expect. And for somebody who did it, and, and you know, they're kind of soft selling what they should what should happen to them. It kind of gives you an idea that they probably committed the crime. Not always, but you know, it just leads you in the right direction. Well, and it's almost like you come in like a smooth cup of tea, you know, and just let them spill it. <laughs> you, you do. And, and that, you know, that was part of being a negotiator. That was part of, you know, of, of saying something. It, it, was, it was called tactical empathy, where we want to, I want to understand why we're here. What, what happened? How did we get to this point? And you, and you let the person talk with the understanding that 
it's not, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I want to understand why you're here because we're trying to build rapport and things like that. And one of the things that we did as negotiators is we asked how, <clears throat> excuse me, how and what questions and tried to stay away from why questions because why sounds kind of accusatory. Well, Liz, why did you do that? Ooh, wait a minute, is he accusing me? As opposed to, well, how did we get here, Liz? You know, that, that's a little more soft sell. Or, yeah. Well, what can we do to, to, get, to get through this? And that's another thing. What and how questions kind of lead the other person without them realizing it to help me get them out safely? I want you to engage with me on how we're going to solve this problem as opposed to a why question that's more accusatory of why you did what you did. Well, it kind of puts them on defense right away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're like, ah, I'm coming and I'm biting, right? Exactly. So, exactly. so Terry, you've been a SWAT hostage uh, negotiator. So how how did you get into that? So um, I actually applied. So for those who don't know how SWAT is usually set up, either in a sheriff's department or uh, any kind of local law enforcement, there's usually two groups. One is the, is the tactical team. And those are the men and women, you know, with the, the guns and, and, and the armored cars and, 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 and what we used to call the toys. And then there are the negotiators. And we used to always say if we did our job correctly, then the tactical team didn't get to use their toys. And, and so it was there was an opening on the Cincinnati Police Department negotiating team. Um, I put in for it. You know, the, part of it was you had to do a physical fitness. You had to run a mile, do so many push ups and sit ups. You had to meet with the psychologist, the police psychologist, you had to take a lot of psychological uh, tests, exams. And then you met with the team and the uh, the administrators over the team. And it was kind of an all or nothing thing. If, if the people on the team said what one person said, nope, we don't want Terry on the team, then you didn't get on the team. Everybody had to be unanimous in their decision. And I was fortunate enough to have everybody say, yeah, we, we'd like to have them on the team. And it was... It was an absolute blast. Worked with great people. We had a psychologist that worked with us in our training that, and, and we just did scenarios. We practiced different scenarios, acting things out. And then the, where you learned was in the debrief where, you know, the psychologist might say, hey, that person was sort of exhibiting signs of somebody who's schizophrenic that might be off their medicine. Did you ever think about that? Wow. No, that never entered my mind. You, you know, so it was a lot of and that was, you know, it goes back to being humble. You know, it's like, I know everything just because you're a police. No, you don't. You, you, you don't understand. You may understand people in crisis, but you don't understand people, you know, that are surrounded by the police and maybe they're a homicide suspect and they're going to prison for the rest of their life or, or whatever it ended up being. It's just a whole different dynamic. So what did that teach you, Terry? Told me a lot of things. Um, let me let me give you a formula. This is a formula that we were taught as negotiators, and it was 538.55. And it had to do with how we uh, how we express ourselves. So if you and I are talking to each other and I'm trying to get something across to you, 5% of that is going to be the words that I use. 38% of it is going to be the tone of voice that I use with those words. And 55% of that message is going to come across based on my body language and my facial expressions. So understanding that, you know, 99% of what we did as police officers was face to face with another individual. So, you know, if I'm talking to you and, 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 you know, why we're talking and you're kind of, you know, looking around and stuff, well, you know, may, I see that. Well, maybe yeah. you're looking to run or escape, or, you know, if I'm talking to you and you're balling up your fists, Maybe you want to fight or something like that. So I can see that. I can see those visual clues and I can do what's appropriate. I can handcuff you. I can sit you down. I can put you in the back of my car, whatever's appropriate for why we're there. But as negotiators, I didn't have that 55%. You know, I wasn't with the person. I could be blocks away talking to them on a phone. I could be behind a locked door or something like that. So I didn't get the benefit of me saying something and seeing them, you know, kind of, roll their eyes like, oh boy, what an idiot. I can't believe he said that, you know, and, and that happened all the time. You know, you would say something and, and then there'd be a pause and they were like, no, you idiot. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I, I, I missed that because I didn't have the benefit of seeing your body language. So we had to get good and figuring things out based on what people were saying, 
but also what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. So that was one thing I learned. The other thing that I think was real important that I learned is the importance of listening. And I'm sure your audience will be like, oh, listen, of course, that's what we're doing right now. It's like, no, there's a big difference between listening to respond. Hurry up, Liz, say what you're going to say, because I want to get my two cents in. That's listening to respond versus listening to understand. Okay, Liz, I, I hear what you're saying. Help me understand it. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you, but help me understand where you're coming from. And I think in society today, we're kind of in the, the first part, listening yep. to respond. And, and part of it is we're screaming at each other. And when you're yelling at me and I'm yelling at you, neither one of us can understand what's going on, what, you know, what we're saying. So I think it's real important that we need to listen to understand, especially today. I, I, I think that's deeply important that you brought that up, Terry, because we're on that defense. Like everyone's on defense mode, you know, like I want to say what you want, what I want to say, you're going to say what you're going to say. And, and it's like you said, we're just arguing back and forth. We're not finding solution. We're just arguing. We're just back and forth. Yeah, I, we, I, I said this a, a couple weeks back on another podcast I had where, you know, we're not having debates. We're not having healthy debates anymore. We're just on attack. Like, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. It, and we need to change that. We need to start listening. We need to start saying, you know what, let's just listen without responding. You know, don't be so fast. I got the answer. How about you just listen an extra two minutes longer, you know? Uh, and I'm a big person that I analyze body language. So you might be telling me, oh yeah, I'm all happy and I'm having a good time. And I'm like, and I see you going, hmm. Yeah, you're not having a good time. Like, you're, I don't know who you're trying to fool, but you ain't fooling me, you know? Yeah, um, yeah you're absolutely right. And, and I, you know, and somewhere along the line, and I don't know when this happened, I mean, let's face it, we're all different. We have all different backgrounds, all different experiences, all different educations. So we're all going to come at problems from different angles. And, and I think that's good. But we've gotten to a point now where, you know, if you and I disagree on something, all of a sudden you're bad. So wait a minute, when did Liz become bad just because we don't see eye to eye on a particular, mostly political issue? Why, why can't we just say, hey, you know, I like you, we're friends, but we don't see eye to eye on whatever it is, gun control or abortion or whatever it is. That doesn't make you a bad person. You know, and, and somehow we've gotten to a point where if you don't totally agree with me, then you're a bad person. and I can't have anything to do with you. When did that happen? We've got to get back to treating each other like human beings with the understanding that we're all, you know, kind of like I said, we're unique, but we're not special. We got to get that empathy back. I don't know yeah. where the empathy went. It's, it, it kind of just went out the window somewhere. I, you know, uh, and this is why I do what I do, you know, and I spill the tea in a different way because I want people to really understand the different ways of learning. You know, we can learn when we listen, when we actually take the time to get to know someone. And that's why I always ask how you were as a child, how you are as an adult, because there's a big difference. Maybe who you were as a child is not who you are as an adult. Maybe you wanted to be totally opposite. Uh, you know, I know myself when I was little, I was the quiet kid. Now I'm a lion. I'm coming at you like, but I'm not screaming at you. I'm just saying, you know what? Pay attention. Right. Really pay attention because there's so much division, so much disagreements. Like if you don't like something, just say, you know what? I respect you. I, you're my friend, but we just don't agree on this topic, you know? Yeah. And let's just move on and still be friends. Like everyone just wants to break up with everybody. It's like a bad relationship. It is. And I remember a saying from Abraham Lincoln, you know, one of our greatest presidents here in the United States who used to say, I don't like that person. I need to get them. I need to get to know them better. You know, and, and it's not, a, I don't like that person. I'm dismissing them. No, it's, I don't like them. You know, I need to get to know them better. Why, why don't I like them? What, what am I seeing or, or, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously in that person that I don't like. And it, it's not a, well, that's just the way it is dismissed. No, it's maybe I need to get to know them better because maybe I'm missing something or maybe I'm not seeing something that would, would cause me to change my mind. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is why we have different flavors and different blends in the world, right? We just got to learn to start serving different flavors. You know, give it a try. You know, I don't like black tea, but I'll drink black tea because I'm going to give it a try. Sure. You know, you know, and I think if we, we took 
that aspect and like when we took that angle and like we might understand a little bit more and, and humanity might actually come to peace and not make war anymore i i just find like everyone is just at war with everybody and i'm just like you know what here's miss liz's tea drink some tea let's just take some time so terry i want to get into um we talked about the books and that i want to talk about your favorite color and the word that you gave me uh, I asked all my guests this, what their favorite color is, and you gave me royal blue. Why that color? You know, I, I've always gravitated to, to that color. Ever since I was a kid, it, it was, I thought it was majestic. I thought it was powerful. I, 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 I guess it's just a color, you know, I mean, I like dark suits. I, I'm, I'm old, so suits are, you know, I mean, it's kind of what I enjoy wearing when I'm, when I can. But I, I mean, you know, I have a, a bunch of ties and a lot of them are, have royal blue in them and some things like that. So royal blue is just, it's just been a color that I don't know how to describe it. It, it, it It's part of me. It, it's something that I enjoy when I was, you know, putting my blog together. It was like, well, is it going to be greens or red? No, it's going to be blues. You know, blues are you know, and, and there's some royal royal in there as well. So it, it's just something that's always, I guess, spoken to me. And I love when my guests like love the colors for a reason. You know, like you feel that it's powerful, and you know, yeah. it, it pulls you in. It you does. Know, instead of just saying, "Oh, well, I like blue because it looks good on me." <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, "Well, you must have wore a lot of blue because you're an officer." You know, well, I did. yeah. There you go. You know, the SWAT. I don't know what color SWAT wears, but. I, you know, it's a dark color again. Yep. So it, it's just, and I never looked at blue as a powerful color. I always looked at, you know, green as power, mm -hmm. you know, but blue, that's, you know, you just opened my mind to something. I was just like, hmm, I never looked at it that way. <laughs> so, and then I asked you what word describes you as an individual and you gave me tenacity. You gave me tenacious. Yeah, I, I just... You know, my, my wife and I were, were talking the other day and about when I was first diagnosed with cancer and the my oncologist pulled her out of the room and said, you know, we don't really have anything to treat melanoma at, at the time. You know, we can we can surgically try to, to deal with it, but we don't have drugs or anything like that. If he gets a miracle, he'll live five years. If not, he's probably got another year or two to live. How do you think he's going to handle that? And, and she, she said, you know, I just kind of laughed and said, well, you go ahead and tell him that and, and see what he says and see what he does. And and I and, and this is a true story, sort of. I embellish it a little bit. But every year I was, as I mentioned, I was treated for my cancer initially at MD Anderson, which is in Texas, even though I live in Colorado now. And every year MD Anderson sends me a letter from their tumor board, from their research people that basically says, please describe your health. You know, circle one of these three. Are you alive with cancer? Are you alive without cancer or are you dead? So I, I keep hanging around because I haven't figured out how to circle number three yet. But I, I mean, they, they don't really say, are you dead? They, they give you an other category. But it, it's that kind of, you know, tell me something can't be done and I will figure out a way to do it. And and that's why I think Tenacious was something that kind of resonated me with when you asked me about what word sort of describes me. I kind of like that, Terry, that you said that, you know, like, tell me I can't do it and I'm going to find a way, yeah. you know, that's really big, strong motivation right there. You know, just it tell is. me I can't and I'm going to show you I can, right. you know, uh, and that's a big check right there. Uh, you know, so if anyone out there is looking for five tips on motivation, what tips would you give them? You, you know, we, when we talk about motivation, you know, I, you know, my blog is called Motivational Check. I talk about motivation, but when people ask me about it, I'm like, it's not enough. Like, what do you mean it's not enough? It's 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 the name of your website. It's, motivation is not enough. With motivation, and I don't know if I'm going to give you five, but I'm going to give you two. With okay, motivation, I'll take two. <laughs> you need discipline and you need good habits. And if you think of motivation, discipline, and good habits sort of as a three-legged stool, if you take away any one of those legs on that stool, the stool is, stool is wobbly. It, it, you know, it, it's not going to support you. So if, if you have motivation, but you don't have good habits and you don't have the discipline to implement those habits, it, it, it really isn't, it, it isn't going to help you. 
I mean, if you're motivated as crazy, you know, like crazy, but again, you don't have good habits or discipline, not going to happen. If you're not disciplined, but you have good habits and you're motivated, it's not going to work because you're, you're not going to do those habits because you're not disciplined to do them. And then I guess finally, you know, if you have motivation and discipline, but you have terrible habits, then it's going to be awful hard for you to be successful or, or to get done what you want to get done. So I, you need, you need all three. And if you're lacking one, it's going to be incredibly hard for you, you know, to, to get what you want to become successful in life. So I always say, you know, motivation is great. And, and it sort of comes from us. We have to decide that. But if, if you have lousy habits and you're not disciplined to implement those things, yeah, it, it's going to be awful hard to get what you want in life. So for anybody that doesn't know what discipline is, what is discipline, Terry? Discipline is, is basically doing what you need to do to be successful. There was a, a football player here in the United States by the name of Jerry Rice who used to say, today I will do what others won't so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. So discipline is, you know, hey, I, I don't really want to do that right now. And, and you know, I, I talk a lot about embracing pain and difficulty. And what I recommend to people, and it, you know, it's like, well, how do you implement that in your life? It's pretty simple. Whatever you don't want to do, go do it. You know, I, uh, I, I don't want to get, I, I want to hit the snooze button. Call, you know, no, get up, do that. Up, you know, up. oh, I don't want to study for this test. No, go study for the test. Nah, I don't really want to clean the house right now. Go clean the house. You know, no, I don't want to get off the couch and go to the gym, go to the gym. So the things you don't want to do in life, you need to do, because what that'll do is callous your mind, kind of like we have calluses, you know, on our hands and feet like that from using, from doing, from making things happen. It's the same way. Do things you don't want to do and it will callous your mind so that you can handle pain and you can be a resilient individual. And I, I think that's really important, you know, that, that we understand what real discipline is. And I like and I like the examples that you gave us, you know, as a mom, you know, when my kids say, oh, I don't want to make my bed, well, make your bed. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to feel better because at nighttime when you go into bed, your bed is going to be a nice crisp bed again. And it's going to feel good to go to bed instead of on all crumply sheets. Right. Uh, you know, we just really got to do what we don't want to do, you know, and we get through it. And it's that push and that drive to continue, you know, we get obstacles in our lives or challenges in our lives. And we're like, Oh, how do we get through this? We just do it. We find you, a way, you right? Do. You do. And, and I, I was, I was on a podcast yesterday. I was, I was telling this story uh, Jesse Itzler was the part owner of the Atlanta Hawks and the national basketball association association here in the United States. He's married to Sarah Blakely. And Sarah Blakely started the company Spanx, which is kind of a women's undergarment uh, uh, company. And he, he was telling the story. He said, if Sarah would have waited until everything was in, you know, everything was lined up, to, you know, she had everything figured out. He said, I guarantee you somebody would have figured it out before and jumped in and, and they, we'd be talking about them instead of Sarah Blakely. He said, Sarah knew what she wanted to do, kind of had an idea of things. But then, you know, didn't stick her toe in the water, jumped in, jumped in full. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going to immerse myself in this and I'm going to figure it out as I go along. So, you know, don't don't you know, if you've got a great idea, you know, there's a there's an old saying that goes, if you if you think you're going to if there's a 70 percent chance you're going to be successful, then do it, then, then take a shot at it, then, then, then go for it. And, and so many people just you know, oh, I got to have this next, or I've got to have the financing piece, or I've got to have the marketing piece, or I've got to have the right, you know, supplier, whatever it is. No, just jump in and figure that out. I'll find a supplier. You know, I'll find somebody for marketing. I'll find a finance, but whatever that ends up being, don't wait. Start where you are right now, jump in and see what happens. So we're almost at the hour here. Time is just flying by. This tea is just like spilling this afternoon. I want to get into the basketball. What got you into basketball? I know you did it in school and then you became a basketball coach. So what, what is it about that basketball that you really love, Terry? I, I, I think what team sports taught me. And, and, you know, when I was a kid, I started, you know, football. I played baseball. I played basketball. I played all those things. But I really kind of specialized in sports in basketball because, one, I was six foot eight inches tall. When I was 13 years old, I was six foot five. So it, it was kind of a natural extension to do that. But I think what... What, one of the things that team sports taught me, 
And for me, it was sports. I think whatever team you're on, whether it's your family or, you know, your job or your church, whatever it is, is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, your parents down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. So, you know, sports has taught me so much. You know, it, it taught me how to be part of a team, taught me how to lose, taught me how to be coachable, you know, taught me how to win. It taught me discipline, motivation, all those kind of things I learned from being an athlete and overcoming things, you know, that I experienced. You know, sports is kind of a microcosm of life. And if you can use that to expand your knowledge, to become a better person, to be a better person, you know, in terms of character and humility and work ethic and things like that, man, think what you can do in life if you learn those lessons, especially when you're young. Yeah, for me in basketball in school, I was a kid that just turned. I was a short kid, so all the tall kids were running by me, and I was like, pass me the ball, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what I wanted to coach. I, I wanted to help kids understand and learn what I learned, you know, and, and I, I, I still, you know, I mean, it's been a number of years I've been out of coaching and I still have relationships with my players. One of my players' brothers just died and she reached out to me and stuff like that. And it, it you know, you wonder sometimes as a coach, did you make a difference? And, and the way I looked at it is I think I planted seeds. Now, whether those seeds germinate and, and grow, we'll see. I hope they do. But 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 you never know. You, you know, you never know two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, somebody said, oh, Coach Tucker said that. Or I remember Coach Tucker saying this, you know, and you have an impact on a, on a young person who learns that lesson maybe a little bit later in life. Well, I think as a coach, we all want to know if we planted the right seed, right? And, and, and that's what I got right from the get go. When we first started this conversation, I almost said that you were planting seeds because you had jumped into so many different aspects of professional like your basketball, the hospital, the SWAT, you were always with people. You were always planting seeds with people. So I can see you as a really people person, you know? Absolutely. So, so Terry, what message would you like to give to everybody out there that's listening to you? I guess let me leave you with this story. Um, I had a nurse recently ask me what it was like, <clears throat> excuse me, to have my foot amputated and to have my leg amputated. And I told her it, it certainly hasn't been easy. You know, when you're six foot eight, you're learning to walk again. Falling is not an option. You know, you fall from this height, you get hurt. So falling is not an option. But what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. That's who I am. That's who you are, Liz. That's who everybody who's listening to us really is. And we spend a lot of time on this this house, this vessel that we call a body. You know, we we want to eat right. We want to exercise. We want to get enough rest. We want to reduce stress. And I'm not telling you not to do that. I think those things are incredibly important. But what I am suggesting is maybe spend a little more time every day working on who you really are. Your heart, your mind, and your soul are eternal. And there are things that are going to live on. And I think if you spend more time developing those, you'll be much happier in your life. And, and I think we really just need to start checking off stuff in life. You know, I, I really like that check. Like it, when you watch the video, the one, one minute video, I put that check for a reason at the end, you know, just check life, check and check what you're doing and just change for yourselves. You know, um, this morning we talked about changing for others. We don't need to change for others. We need to change for ourselves because when we change for ourselves then the people that are around us actually see the change and they change for themselves as well. And it's just a ripple effect, right? Absolutely. So Terry, if anybody would like to get your book, where can they get your book? Uh, the book can pretty much be gotten anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks. You can just search it online and, and it'll pop up. And if anybody would like to go to you for coaching or any of that stuff, where can they find you? Uh, so my blog, motivationalcheck.com. I, I put up a thought for the day every day. And with that thought usually comes a, a question about, <coughs> excuse me, how you can maybe uh, apply that in your life. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. You can leave me a message all at motivationalcheck.com. So before we wrap up, we got we got a little bit more than just a little bit more than five minutes here before we wrap up the, this afternoon's tea time. You've been on so many podcasts, Terry. So what have you learned about podcasting world? 
I have been incredibly, <coughs> excuse me, I've been incredibly fortunate. You know, I started a motivational speaking business right when COVID hit. And like so many other companies, I had to figure out how to retool. You know, I mean, everything shut down. There was no virtual. There was nothing in person. And somebody reached out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I said, sure. What's a podcast? I had absolutely no idea what they were. It's like, well, it's kind of like a conversation and we record it and then we put it up on social media. And I'm like, hmm, okay, sure, I'll do that. I was so scared. I was so nervous. I had posted notes with like answers all around the camera. And the person would ask me a question and I would lean in and read the posted note. And I was, I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible when I started. And I remember talking to my publisher one day and I said, you know, Scott, I listen to every podcast I've ever been on. And, and I'm probably approaching 700 podcasts now because I want to be better. I want to have better stories. I don't want to say, um, or huh. And all. I, 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 I want to just be a better guest. And he said, no, 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 Terry, it's not about being good. It's about just not sucking. And I said, well, thanks for the title of my next book. You know, just don't suck. I said, but no, it, it, that's not what it's about. I want to be a good guest. So the podcast host feels that he or she has spent time with somebody that was valuable to their audience. So, you know, that's that's one thing I learned. And I, I did a podcast, I don't know, about eight months ago with a former NFL player, National Football League player here in the United States. This guy is like six foot six, like 308 pounds. I mean, he put his form up on the on the desk and it, it was so big it covered the camera. You know, I mean, we, we couldn't see anything. And I remember talking to him afterwards and he said, you know, Terry, when I started my podcast, I was scared to death. I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. I didn't think anybody would listen to me. And I said, Marcus, you know, you, you reached the pinnacle of sports, at least here in the United States. How could you not think people would listen to you? So I, I think that just goes to show you that we all kind of doubt ourselves from time to time. We all wonder, does anybody care what I'm saying? Does, is this going to make a difference? Is this going to impact people? And I think you know, those are some of the things I've, I've not had a bad experience on a podcast. Everybody I've met and I've I've done podcasts with people in China and the UK and Australia, you know, in South America, everywhere in the world. And I've yet to have a, have a bad experience, which just tells me just how close we are as human beings. It doesn't matter where you are, where you live. We're all tied together and we all care about each other, or at least we should all care about each other. I wanted to ask you that question because as a negotiator and and being on a phone, you know, you don't get that body language. Most podcasts are just audio. There are some like myself with the video. So how do you know if the get the host or the guest is actually enjoying themselves? I, I mean, most of what I do is is on Zoom or you know one of the other forms where we see each other while we're doing the recording. But yeah, you're right. The only thing that goes up is the audio portion of it. So I get the benefit of being able to see the host and, and have him or her see me as well. So yeah, that helps me a lot. I like those a lot better than ones that are just over the phone because I just I just kind of feel like, you know, I, you know you, you're just trying to sense what the person is thinking or feeling or did you just say something that was really goofy and they're like, oh boy, this guy's an idiot or something, you know? So I, I don't know, but I have the benefit usually of being on a Zoom call or some other format where we can see each other for the recording. Well, and I think that I do the live video because I want to see if my guests are actually not just going, okay, where's the next question? Just yeah, really, what's you going to do like, now? You know, yeah. like, oh, what, what is she coming up with now? Like, you know... <laughs> And I don't want her to say, hey, you're not paying attention here. <laughs> exactly, really. Hey, you know, this is important to me. You know, and like I say, it's important to you. I want it to be important to me as well. You know, that's, I think it makes for just a great recording. Well, I really want to thank you, Terry, for sitting and having tea with me today. And, you know, this is what we need. We just need open conversation, you know, and getting to know people. Yeah. And, you know, ask the right questions. There's no wrong question out there. There is, if you're, looking for trouble if you're looking for debate and division then you know uh this table is really just authentic and we just want to serve a regular good strong cup of tea like going to grandma's house so i want to thank you terry for sharing all of your good incredible information with all of us today and your story most of all and i i'm going to send my prayers to you and keep you in my thoughts and that 
And I want to thank you for joining me. And I'll see everybody at 7 p.m. with the next Tea Time, the third one of the day. And then we're going to wrap it for this week. And we'll be back next week. And we do it all over again, three new Tea Times. So I'll see everybody at 7 p.m. with Joseph M. Lamar, where we'll be talking about his book that he wrote that's called Terror Strikes. So again, until then, just keep serving your TEA to the world.